Hello everyone and welcome to Not So Secular, the place where we talk about how the world we live in is not as secular as we often think. We just choose to see it that way. My name is Mon Reyes, I'm a youth missionary here in the Philippines and I will be your host here today. On this episode, we'll talk about the misunderstanding Jesus, which is something that seems so easy to fall into nowadays since we live in a world that has a lot to say about Jesus. A lot of songs have been written about him. A lot of literature have been published about him. And even a lot of memes. You see this online. Both Christian memes, memes for Jesus, shout out, as well as not-so-Christian memes. Memes that have something to say about Jesus and that something is often negative. And since we live in a time where a lot of different people have a lot of different opinions about Jesus, it's so easy to misunderstand who he is which is something that I think is worth noting and is worth considering as we seek to follow him because we need to know if we're following the real Christ. And so let's talk about that. All that and more coming right up. You know those weeks when you just have so much to do, as in your planner or your calendar is just overflowing with stuff that you need to accomplish or deadlines that you need to meet and then you wake up in the morning super early and you sleep super late as well because you're trying to catch up on all of these things day after day after day. Well, for me, the past two weeks have been like that. And at first, when it finished, when I, when I, when I was done doing the things that I had to do, I felt like, oh, okay, I had so much time. And then I just felt so free. But then little did I know that there will be some more stuff to do. But I'm not complaining. I'm grateful for a lot of things. I'm grateful that I get to do what I do. I, I do love this. But I just want to share with you, whoever said that if you love what you're doing, you'll never get tired was mistaken. Right? It's just wrong. You'll, you'll still get tired. But the thing about it is if you really like it, if you really believe in what you're doing, then it's worth the tiredness. Anyway, just a little bit of personal update before we get into the episode. For today, I want to start this off by drawing our attention to something that Jesus used to do in the early part of his ministry. It's very interesting and I want to read it and allow you to, to notice it for yourself. For today, we'll be taking most of our readings from Mark, from the Gospel of Mark. This is the first one. The context of this is when Jesus healed a leper. So he just cured someone and this is what happens next. In Mark chapter 1 verse 44, it says, Then he said to him, See that you tell no one anything, but go Show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses prescribed. That will be proof for them. That's the first one. The second one is when Jesus healed a deaf man. So it's another healing encounter, but this time it's a different person with a different ailment. And this is what happens near the end. In Mark chapter 7, verse 36, it says, He ordered them not to tell anyone but the more he ordered them not to, the more they proclaimed it. Ordered them not to tell anyone. The next one comes from Mark chapter 8. And this was when Jesus was meeting with his disciples, his close group of followers. 
This is where we get Peter's confession about who Jesus is. He asked them a very important question. Who do people say that I am? Followed by, but who do you say that I am? When Peter declared that you are the Messiah, he said to Jesus, verse 30 says, Then he warned them not to tell anyone about him. And this followed in the next chapter with the transfiguration when he showed himself in his glorified form to his three closest followers, Peter, James, and John. And what happens afterward? I think by this time you've already noticed it. As they were going down the mountain, this is what the text says in Mark chapter 9, verse 9. As they were coming down from the mountain, he charged them not to relate what they had seen to anyone except when the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Here we see in all these different passages that Jesus insisted that people not talk about who he is, that people not share about his identity, about him being the Messiah, about him being the Christ. And this is curious, to say the least, because If Jesus was reaching people, if he was trying to do his best to reach as many people to the gospel and to try to call them back, why would he discourage these people whom he have healed as well as his followers to talk about who he is and to share about who he is? Although some of them did end up doing just that. Why would Jesus prevent his own followers, his own recipients of healing to share, to talk. I mean, wouldn't we do the opposite? If someone, if something good were to happen to us, if we were to accomplish something, or if we were, we were trying to promote a message, what, we, what would we do? We would post it on social media. It would be on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, maybe Twitter, because Twitter is kind of crazy. And we would create DP blasts about it. We would create posters about it. We would ask our friends to share. Some of us even have the courage to ask our friends to like it. And that's kind of how it goes because we want to spread the word. We want people to hear the message, people to see, to encounter. And, and, because this is something that we believe in. But for Jesus, for Jesus, when, when we're talking about his identity, especially in the third passage that we read, when Peter pointed out exactly, you are the Messiah, he told him not to tell anyone about it. Not until he would be risen from the dead. In church teaching, this is called the messianic secret. What it's about is, well, it's about a secret about Jesus being the Messiah. It's kind of straightforward. <laughs> and it's the messianic secret. And we we are taught that there are there are two likely reasons why Jesus kept him, his identity being a Messiah as a secret, at least at first. At least at first. And the first reason that we have is because he wanted to avoid getting attention from the foreign Roman authorities who could have, quote unquote, stood in the way of his mission. Remember, during this time, Israel, they were not autonomous. They were under foreign rule, kind of like the Philippines was when we were under the rule of the Spaniards. So they were living in their own land, but there were foreign rulers who had their way with them. And the Romans were the ones in power. The Romans were the ones who had the capacity, the the ability to stop these growing Jewish movements who would who might that might end up in some sort of revolt. In fact, this is something that has happened before. 
And this is part of the reason why Pontius Pilate was cautious about how he handled Jesus as well as the leaders who were bringing Jesus to him. If you remember in the story, Pontius Pilate is the one who tried Jesus in court. He was the Roman governor. He was brought to him by the Jews, by some of their religious leaders, because they wanted Jesus punished. They wanted Jesus crucified. And Pontius Pilate, he knew or he had the sense that Jesus was was innocent, that Jesus, his, his hands were clean. And he did not want to do that. In fact, he even offered you, you get to choose. Do you, who do you want to be set free as part of the custom? Jesus or Barabbas? That, w- that is where Pontius Pilate enters into the picture. And even though, even though he believed that Jesus was innocent and his, his wife even told him so, he still allowed them to have their way because he was afraid. And he was, again, he was being cautious because this type of thing has happened before. He was trying to avoid another revolt. He was trying to avoid another violent uprising that could happen in Jerusalem. Jerusalem, which is a very central city for the Jews. This is something that has happened before. And so Jesus, this is a strategic move. By keeping his, his messianic identity a secret, he was saving it for the right time until until all that he has been teaching about and all that he has been proclaiming will well it will come to its climax and that is something that we believe is something that happened in the crucifixion in his passion death and resurrection so that's the first reason the first reason is he was trying to avoid getting attention from foreign roman authorities again because they could have stood in the way and i mean that in a certain sense because you know nothing really ever stands in the way of god right but given the context of the time this is something that jesus acknowledged the second reason is this the second reason is that the first century jews had a different idea of what the Messiah would be like. And so if Jesus would suddenly claim that title for himself and call himself the Messiah, then it would mean something completely different for the Jews. What do I mean by that? Messiah, the term Messiah is not just something that we call Jesus. The term Messiah is actually a title. For example, doctor. Doctor is a title. There might be a person whom you call doctor. See, doc. Doctora, right? We, we use these terms. And oftentimes when we do that, we're referring to a specific doctor, but our doctor in, in particular. But the term doctor in itself is a general term. It's a, it's a title that applies to many people who fit the qualification, who fit the bill. Now, the term Messiah, it's a bit like that. It, it's a title which fits a certain kind of role that the Jews were expecting. The Messiah is the anointed one. That's what it literally means. Mashiach, the anointed one. The one who has had oil poured over his head. That's what anointed means. And that is why when we get confirmed, we have oil. Oil is an essential part of the confirmation process in the same way that water is an essential part of the baptism process. During the ancient times, in ancient Jewish tradition, the people who would get anointed were the kings and the priests and, well, people who were about to be buried. And 
aside from that practice, that practice that would set them apart from other people with this dedicated role, they were waiting for a specific anointed one, a specific Messiah who would be sent for them so that they would be redeemed, so that they would be rescued. And the images that they had in their head were the people in their past, just like Moses was sent to the Israelites. During during the time when the Israelites were, were under slavery in Egypt, Moses was sent to them. Moses was called by God. And through Moses, the wonders of God was shown to the people and shown to the Egypt and the Egyptians. And and because of what Moses has done, because of what God has done through Moses in sending the plagues and confronting the Pharaoh and all of these things, they were set free. And it was God who, who separated the waters for them so that they could walk on dry ground. It was God who, who did signs and wonders so that they would be set free. They were waiting for someone like Moses. And in fact, Moses talks about this in the end of Deuteronomy, that a prophet like me will come after me and you will listen to him. That is what Moses says in the end of Deuteronomy. And they were waiting for someone like Moses. And other images that come to mind are someone like Joshua who would lead the people to the promised land through his leadership. He was a military leader, Joshua. And he was really, he was the kind of leader that they needed at the time. And later on, we have someone like David, King David, who united the different tribes into one kingdom. He was someone who would bring the people together and settled them properly within the promised land because they have had previous leaders, judges, and another king named Saul, but it didn't quite work out. But with David, he was the anointed one. He was someone, but David failed also. And David fell into temptation. And David apparently was not the one that they were waiting for. During this time, the most recent messianic figure that they were waiting for who could redeem them, who would redeem them, was the Maccabees. They were the Maccabees. And Judah, Judah Maccabee, is the one of the main protagonists of this book in the Bible. If you have a Catholic book, you'll find it there. This is not found in Protestant books. And this is this tells the story of when of when certain leaders from from the Jews stood up against the Greeks. They stood up to fight for their freedom, to to rid the temple because the temple was defiled. They were offering sacrifices to other gods in the temple and they wanted to clean up the temple and take it by force. It was a revolution. And this was something that, that was near their history. Try to look back to the People Power Revolution. Try to look back to when we started fight. It, it was like the Katipunan, when they were fighting against the Spaniards. I'm using a lot of Spaniard, um, Spaniard Philippines, Spanish Philippines um, analogies here because it works. And it was like that. They were like the Katipuneros. You know, the Maccabees were like the Katipuneros. They would fight for their freedom. They, they, and, and they accomplished that to a certain extent. During a, a brief period of time, Israel was set free. It just didn't last for too long because their hearts remained unchanged. And so during this time, they were waiting for another messianic figure who would set them free, this time from the Romans, from their current oppressors, at least during this time. They were waiting for this Messiah who would be like Moses, be like Joshua, be like David, be like Judah. They were waiting for the one who would set them free. Then Jesus comes along and he is like Moses, but not in the way that they're expecting. He is like Joshua who was faithful, 
but not in the way that they were expecting. He is like David who would call all peoples together and unite them, but not quite. What they had in their minds was was a political militaristic ruler who would deliver them from the foreign rulers. But Jesus wanted to do more than just to save the Jews from the Romans. He wanted to save the world from sin. And the way he would accomplish that is not by subjecting others through force, but by giving himself up in love. If this was the kind of image that the Jews had about the Messiah, then the crucifixion would not have made sense to them. It would not have made sense. Why why was our Messiah beaten? And in fact, that was how it was. In the, even when Jesus was crucified already, they were still surprised. They didn't see it coming. They didn't even expect that he would be resurrected. But Jesus, as he was risen, proved that he has defeated death. Jesus was trying to usher, him, usher them in into something greater. And to bring all of these previous, previous promises about the coming Messiah, about the coming redemption, about the coming rule, the coming kingdom of God. But he was, he was trying to reintroduce it, reshape their expectations. Because what they wanted to give, what Jesus wanted to give them is something greater than they have hoped or imagined. And so he kept his identity as the Messiah a secret at least in the earlier part of his ministry. Why? Because he wanted, he knew that it would take a bit of time for him to reshape first the hearts of the people as he was going from one place to another, preaching the gospel, healing people, and teaching, teaching them wisdom. The messianic secret was a strategic move. But why am I telling you this? I'm telling you this because just as the ancient Jews had a different expectation of the Messiah, other than what Jesus was actually showing them, in the same way, we also have a different expectation of Jesus in our lives today. Apart from what he wants to show us, apart from who he really is. Because the world is so interconnected now. And because we live in the Philippines where Catholicism, Christianity is very much everywhere it's christianity is a popular thing here in the philippines and i'm not even sure nowadays if the philippines is still worth calling a catholic country because i think what has happened or what is happening more and more is that the term catholic for us just becomes one of those things that we take for granted as if it's just a part of what it's how things are supposed to be it's just a part of culture it's no longer it's becoming less and less personal for a lot of people it's becoming less and less real for a lot of people and a lot of the things that they do they just do for the sake of doing it because this is what we've always done for a very long time instead of understanding what our faith really is and getting to know Christ in the real sense of it I think a lot of us are confused about who Jesus is and a lot of people who reject Jesus end up rejecting a version of Jesus that they have in their minds that maybe does not really align very well to who Jesus reveals himself to be. We are still confused. Our expectations oftentimes are still not aligned to who Jesus really is, what the Messiah is supposed to be. And so what ends up happening is we develop all these different sorts of opinions and thoughts about it. And we end up rejecting the church, end up rejecting Christianity. We end up rejecting Christ even sometimes because 
Well, not because we don't like what it teaches, but because we don't understand what this is all about, what He is all about. And this is worth noting. This is worth understanding. In my personal experience, I was raised in a practicing Catholic family, and I'm very grateful for my parents for involving me in Mass, having me go through the sacraments, enrolling me in Catholic school up until grade four. And I'm very grateful that I wasn't really that far away from the beauty of our tradition because it, it really it really immerses you in. It allows you to become more open to, to knowing God. But to be honest, like in my experience, it, it wasn't something that I took seriously all the time. It was something that, yes, I took for granted many, many times. My relationship with my faith is kind of like my relationship with that one cousin that you only really see when you are in your family reunions. You know, you only really see that cousin there. You don't know him. You don't know anything. Like, what are his interests? Is he a good person? It's just nothing. You just know that he's important because he's a part of the family. But other than that, so I acknowledge him as such, but other than that, there's really nothing. There's no relationship there. There's nothing. We just say hi, hello, and greet each other and maybe exchange gifts every now and then because, well, that's what you're supposed to do when you're part of family. For me, my, my relationship with my faith was like that. My relationship with Christ was like that. I knew that it was important. I knew that it was a part of my life, but I never really took it seriously. And so I would go to Mass and have and, and go through all of the motions of being a Christian, of being a Catholic, but it wasn't really something that was of value to me. And a huge part of that, well, one, is that I was immature. And the other side to that is because I never really understood it I never really took the time to understand it. And part of that is because I thought I already did. Because we are so immersed. We see it everywhere. You, you see a picture of Jesus. And even if, even if that person doesn't go to church, if you show them that photo, it's recognizable. If we have these sayings about the, the golden rule, um, love one another, and we, we have these popular teachings of Jesus that is just everywhere that people would recognize because Christianity has become so popular and that's not a bad thing. That's not a bad thing. I think the problem though is if it's just popular and not personal and not real because that's the thing. Your faith has to be personal and your faith, that personal faith is what will invite you into the family of the church become a part of what this really is and come to know Christ in the process and follow Him and obey Him and be His light here in the world. But how could we do that if we barely even know Christ? This is one of the reasons also why it's difficult to evangelize. It's difficult to introduce people to Jesus because again, some people think they already know Him. Some people think they already know what Jesus is all about and they, they end up having all of these preconceived notions which get in the way of us actually telling them about who Jesus is or Jesus actually revealing himself in all of these different ways to these people. There's a very beautiful verse as in, in the Old Testament when Jesus approached Pharaoh asking, oh, not Jesus, when Moses rather, Moses approached Pharaoh asking if, if, they, if, if the Israelites could be freed for a time so that they could worship, worship God. What does Pharaoh say? In Exodus chapter 5 verse 2, it says, Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord. 
and I will not let Israel go. In the same way, how can we expect people to follow Christ if they don't even know Christ? Trent Horn wrote a wonderful book about this called Counterfeit Christ, where he discusses all of these different perspectives that people have about Jesus, both coming from outside the Christian worldview and within also. Because even as Christians, we could have different different wrong preconceptions about Jesus. And so he takes the perspective of the of the of the Christians as well as the perspective of the agnostics and the atheists. It's it's really good. It's really good. I recommend that you read it for yourself. And these are two of his examples, two of his um two of the 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 counterfeit Christs that he points out. The first one is the non-judgmental Jesus. This is the picture of Jesus whom as as with the name, he's non-judgmental. The worst thing that you could do is judge other people because Jesus is someone who hung out with sinners because Jesus is someone who accepted everyone. How, how could you say such things? How could the church be so judgmental? How could Christians act in this way? It's not, it doesn't seem to be the type of thing that Jesus would say. It doesn't seem to be the type of thing that Jesus would do. And so they think that because Jesus is all about love and love is all about acceptance and tolerance and everything is permitted, everything is allowed, be who you are, exactly who you want to be. And well, it just doesn't align with who Jesus is because Jesus, yes, Jesus hung out with sinners. And yes, Jesus embraced people. They, he, he loved them for who they are. But at the same time, he loved them enough to encourage them to grow from there. Do not leave them in their sinful state. Do not leave them in their wrongdoing. A good example of this is Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus was a tax collector. Tax collectors were known for being corrupt. He was a public sinner. He, Jesus invited himself to, to have lunch with Zacchaeus in his house. That was what happened. And in the process, Zacchaeus ended up having a change of heart. When Jesus would hang out with prostitutes, he did not say, oh, well, your body, your choice. He did not say, he did not encourage what they were doing. Instead, he was, he was getting them to see what they were missing, getting them to, to see how much more God has in store for them. And the way he showed that is with his compassion. The way he showed that is with his presence, by being with them, not by being like them. And these two are very different things. Jesus was straightforward and Jesus openly talked about the consequences. If you look at his parables, when he talked about the parable of the unforgiving servant, about the servant who refused to forgive the, the, one of the people who owed him lesser than what he owed the master, which was forgiven, when, when, when at, at the end of that story, there were real consequences for the, for the servant who was unforgiving. The same goes for the parable of the talents. When three people were given different amounts of, of gold and the last one ended up misusing his. And there were real consequences because of that as well. And whenever this, this idea of the non-judgmental Jesus comes up, one of the things that people bring up about it was when Jesus said in Matthew 7, Stop judging that you may not be judged. So Jesus said, don't judge, huh? You, you're, not, you're not supposed to judge. Oh, only God can judge me. This is what people say. <laughs> it's crazy. And, but but, but they, they don't go toward the next part. The next part says, for as you judge, so will you be judged. And the measure with which you measure will be measured out to you. 
And then it goes, Why do you notice the splinter in your brother's eye but do not perceive the wooden beam in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Let me remove that splinter from your eye while the wooden beam is in your eye? You hypocrite. Remove the wooden beam from your eye first. Then you will see clearly to remove the splinter from your brother's eye. Jesus is not saying that judgment is bad. What Jesus is saying that when you do judge, don't be a hypocrite about it. Judge yourself also. You're also supposed to assess your own self. And that's what self-reflection is all about. When we examine ourselves, it's just that sometimes in the in the intent of wanting to include everyone, what we do sometimes is we just throw away the standards. We just lower all standards so that no one would fall short, so that everyone is included. And the problem with that is that standards are important too. There are certain standards that must be upheld. And the, the way through that is not to lower the standards, but to elevate the people and to help them. And we believe that through the grace of Jesus Christ, we are being enabled to respond to him as such. Of course, there are certain standards that are just unreasonable. Of course, there are certain standards that are just unfair. Of course, there are certain standards that must be dealt with. However, when it comes to sin, when it comes to good and bad, when it comes to morality, when it comes to the identity of Christ himself, there are certain things that are just not negotiable. Another counterfeit Christ that Trent gives is the one about the prosperity preacher Jesus, about how with faith, anything can be done. You will have a very good life if only you follow Jesus. If you're living in his ways, nothing will go wrong. And you will have health and wealth. That's what, what's, what's part of it. Health and wealth gospel. That everything will be fine. And ask whatever you want to ask and it will be given unto you. These verses are often taken out of context and about how if you give this much, it will be handed back to you a hundredfold and that you will never go poor, never have to struggle through anything again. And well, it's, it's, it's just not what Jesus preached because Jesus himself went to the cross. The most faithful person on earth had to suffer. And the thing about our faith is that there is more. There is more than just material stuff when it comes to our faith. There is more than just what we have. And the problem with this prosperity preaching gospel is that it, it points out that if you end up not receiving what Jesus or what, what, what they think Jesus wants to give you, if you end up not being successful in life, then maybe the problem is you because you don't have enough faith. And this is where we talk about how you need to pray away the mental health issues, about to pray away all of these. Again, this is, a, this is a misunderstanding of what the church actually teaches, of who Christ reveals himself to be because, because the Bible, Christ, the church does not deny the reality of suffering. It does not say when 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 Psalm twenty three talks about talks about how even when we go through the valley of the shadow, it doesn't say that there will be no valleys of shadow. It says even when I go through the valley of shadow, there you are with me. I've once heard a pastor put it in this way that a life of following Christ is not a life that is storm free; it is a life of that is storm proof. Christ gives us the courage, the fortitude to go through. And sometimes it's, it is through the suffering itself that we are molded 
to become more like the person he is calling us to become. It is through the suffering when we begin to develop the proper values, the proper perspective in life. And let me clarify that. Jesus does not cause suffering for the sake of suffering. He does not send you somewhere for you to have a bad time or for you to just have a difficult experience. It's, it's not that. But sometimes God does allow sufferings to enter into our lives, whether it be because of our fault or someone else's fault or just, or just the reality of life. There are times when He will allow that to happen to us because He knows that He could bring a greater good out of it. So these are two examples. There's one more that's from me. And this is about the activist Jesus, that we see Jesus as just another activist during his time. And I think I might dedicate a separate episode for this. I think this is worth talking about in greater detail. And for today, we'll just leave it at that. That there are certain misunderstandings of Jesus that we have in our day, especially since Christianity has grown so popular. And this is something that we need to consider, whether we're, we're looking at ourselves when, when, when we are considering the faith, whether this is something I should believe in or not, this is something I should be a part of or not, we need to consider, are we allowing ourselves to get to know the real Christ? Or are we just coming from a perspective of all of these other voices saying other stuff, saying stuff that are not quite accurate about who he is? That applies to us. But it also applies to the people around us. That when we want to evangelize and when we want to introduce people to Christ, we need to consider that they might be coming from a false perspective of who Jesus is. And we might have to reintroduce Christ to them both through our words and our deeds. By our example, by what we say. Not just by telling them in a a classroom format or in, in, in this way. This is just one way of doing it. But part of it is that as we come to know the real Christ, as we come to know him for who he really is, we also become better images of him. We imitate him better. We share his values better. The values of the real, true Christ, there's nothing better than that. There's, There's no better set of values, no better set of principles, no better wisdom than that of Christ. And so it's important for us to come to know him for who he is not just for what the world says about him. Just as what happened with his time with his disciples in one of the passages that we read earlier in Mark 8, when he was asking his disciples, who do people say that I am? They said in reply, John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others, one of the prophets. They had all these different perspectives about who Jesus is. But Jesus asked them, But who do you say that I am? Who do you say that I am? And this is where we see Jesus bringing this further. Because for Jesus, it's not just about his teachings. It's not just about, uh, it's not just about the goodness of what he says. For Jesus, one of the key points is that we know not just what he did, not just what he does, but who he is. It's as if his identity is the point. Knowing who Christ is. How do we do that? We have the scriptures. We have the church. We can ask him through prayer. 
We can look for different resources, trusted resources that could help us grow in our faith. And it helps. It really helps to be part of a community. And so these are my encouragements for you. And we've gone through a lot in these few minutes that we've spent together. And again, this is something that I say a lot, but I'm sure we will have plenty of opportunities to dig deeper into these stuff as we go forward. And that brings us to the end of this episode. Thank you very much for listening all the way through. If this was helpful for you, share it with your friends. Share it on social media, right? And we messianic secret dito because we are already seeking to follow and know the real Christ. And so go ahead and share it on your platforms. Share it with your friends and your family. That would be really, really helpful. That would be appreciated. Thank you guys for being here. And see you next week. Bye.